0: So good to see you this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Psalms. I want to talk about destiny for a little bit today. Is that okay? And We can apply it personally. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about the church too. And, uh, and then we're going to pray. And then we're kind of done for the morning. So that'll be about half past three. So that's all right. Psalm 16. Mother's Day plans are pushed. Oh, it's a great psalm. Psalm 16. Well, I want verse 6, but you can't help but start at verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Whisper to the person next to you, I got God. Go on, I got God. And then whisper back to the other side, and that's all I need. That's all I need. You you got God, you got everything, right? Uh, Verse 5 and 6 is really what I want. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Here's really the one I'm wanting. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. In these days of hankering for more, if there are any little ones, there is a crash out there, that's why you see, uh, it's not a child swapping agency out there, but if, if they are unsettled, you can still hear the message and look after your little ones or your rowdy husbands if you want. In these days of hankering after more, we need to remember that God is enough, Amen. If our hearts are hankering, striving, pained for something other than God himself, sometimes we can have a heart that's going astray from his purpose. Amen? And I just love this. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Your destiny is meant to be pleasant. Say the word pleasant. It's kind of a nice, it's a nice word, isn't it? Delightful. Uh, anybody felt lately that their destiny is not particularly delightful? Anybody want to cast their mind back through three years of COVID and go delight what? You know, um, uh, there's been times when it's been hard work, times when there's no momentum, times when the, I don't know whether the teachers were longing to get back in the classroom or longing to not be in the. Yeah, Rachel's saying longing to be back in the classroom. Um, I'm sure there were all those that work in medicine. You were longing to, for heaven's sake, give us a rest. We, so we clapped you every, what was it, Tuesday or Thursday? For a while and then we got bored and, you know, moved on and such is such. A, you know, life is full of these complexities, but here's what God says about you. Your destiny that he has planned, there's no harm in it. He has a delightful, pleasant place for you. Not for the person next to you, not just for the preacher, but he has a pleasant destiny for you. Now, the truth is you're going to go through some pain to get there. Thank you, the, one, the two people that agreed. A pastor on the front row that always goes, yeah, two, I mean, right. <laughs> and then a mother somewhere probably that went, yep. We go through a process, but the process is to enter a delightful place with God. He has no plans to harm you. He has no plans to give everyone else a delightful inheritance except for you. No, you're loved by God. There's not a single person in this room that's missed out from that statement. He adores you. He gets you. He gets your foibles, your weaknesses. um, And and I think he kind of gets, do we all struggle with this, with the imposter syndrome of it all, that everyone's more spiritual than me? does anyone else feel that I mean I'm the leader and I feel it so I'm kind of guessing you know I've been to Bible school I've staffed on Bible school and still I think I wished I knew more I'm sure that Keith knows more than me and so do you know what our enemy is called he's called the accuser and he'll do it to you night and day and he'll sound like your own voice in your head and you could have prayed for two hours but you'll come out and there'll be a little voice that says but three would have brought the breakthrough (laughs) you'd have read four chapters but five would have been the godly amount And you get, anyone else get these little nagging, whispering lies. If only the devil came and knocked on our door and said, I'm about to lie to you. So you might want to watch it, but he doesn't. He whispers in our thoughts and he degrades your identity moment after moment. Never be caught. Is denigrating the right word? Is it too long for Sunday? I did not even know what it means, but it sounds like never put down the identity of another. Don't join the whispering worlds of the wicked. We're here to be the family of God, recognizing each other after Christ and knowing, come on, we've all got our foibles, but God's got a pleasant destiny for everyone here. And how do we process to get into that? Well, I want to use Uh, I've done bits of this before, but we're going to revisit it and then kind of go on a little journey. I want to go right back to the beginning of the book, because if we go back to... Let's forget original sin for a minute. Let's go back to original glory. What did God set up the world to be like? Because I kind of think there's principles in that, that if we get them, then we'll get what he's trying to do. Are you with me? So you've got a Bible. Flick over to Genesis 1 and... um, uh, We we might read the odd verse, but it's more about... I would highly recommend... Do you ever get to that place where you go, not sure what to read today? Well, here's your homework for this week. Genesis 1 to 11, and do the backstory of all the things I'm saying now. And hopefully, as you read this week... Some of what I'm saying will click more and more into place, but we're going to look at Genesis, certainly the first few chapters, if not the first 11 chapters, but like I said, we're going to read very little. I expect you already, as Bible scholars, to know them off by heart, in the original language, backwards, okay? So Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. I mean, you know, that's a preach in itself, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know that before you were on the planet, God was around? And do you know what he was doing? All of Genesis 1, he was making a world for you to live in. Not sure God likes me. Really? I mean, he could have made it in a millisecond, took six days. I want to make it just right for Deborah, who we've just dedicated to the Lord. I want to make a world that's beautiful. And with each process, each part of the process, you know the stories. Genesis 1. He makes something and then goes, oh, 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 that's good. And he makes a river and he goes, oh, that's good. And then he makes some fish. And I think he's anticipating what the salmon will smell like. And he goes, that's good. God's making this good world for you and me for no other reason, for you and for me. He doesn't need a garden to walk in, but he wants people to love. So he makes a garden for them to live in. And then him in his spirit being would walk through the garden and hang out with people like you and me. We can't get it, can we, in our fallen state? God is fascinated by you, loves you, adores you. And our problem is we look in the mirror and we don't even like ourselves. And yet here is God making a world for you and I. Anybody hear Brian Cox going on about the universe last night? Anybody watch it? I watched a bit of it. His voice now makes me just smile because of all the impressionist programs that they are on. I won't try and do a Brian Cox impersonation. But isn't it funny how the more science talks, the more biblical it becomes. And they just keep discovering more and more of what the Bible already told us. God made the world for you and I. It's fascinating. And then if you, if you go through it, you'll find that Genesis one twenty six. Let us make mankind in our image. So, so you and I, we're just like God. Well, let's just say all the good bits. Right? So that they may rule. Everybody say rule. Over the fish, in the sea, and the birds, in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female versions of that mankind he created, both in the image of God. I'm adding that just to help anybody in the room that's... Well, let's not go there. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. You were made in original glory to rule and to subdue. Say rule and subdue. You have authority. Now, That can be tainted by a history of all kinds of things, can't it? The word rule and subdue. And the tainting of it can be everything from nations that are busy trying to invade other nations through to um, harsh concepts of fatherhood, you could even say. None of these are biblical. What God means when he says rule and subdue, he means steward, care, give your life to care for. So when we subdue the world, we're subduing it with goodness and kindness, we're stewarding it and caring for it, making something that was a mere wilderness to, have, to be a place of beauty and order. That's what ruling means to God. And so he's put us in this world to rule and to subdue. And so you are a ruler, right? You're a king. And uh, and now Here's what God then does. Genesis 2, and let's look at verse 8. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. I, I like that. God's a gardener. Jesus repeats that, doesn't he? He said, I'm the vine, my father is the gardener. John 15, verse 1. God's a gardener. You know, some people think of destiny as if it's all timelines and metrics and when am I going to get this done by and that done by. That's all kind of very Greek and very driven and very consumer society and all these kind of things. Actually, destiny is a garden. It's kind of where I'm trying to get to, which takes us back to where we started. My boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. God's made a garden for you and he's put you in it. My question this morning is, are you looking after your garden? Do you know what your garden is? Do you know the trees that are in it? Do you know the seeds that are in your hand? Do you understand your responsibility for your garden? Because actually, you've been put on the planet not to become a self-made success, but merely, and here's the beauty of it, merely to cultivate that which God has already given you. In other words, chill just relax you were never meant to be self-made he just wants to be good to you and what we really need to recognize is God's given me a garden to care for and here's the thing it's the garden of Eden isn't it which means delightful it means pleasant that's so that's what they're referring to in Psalm 16 my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places it's Eden it's paradise paradise literally means a walled garden so let me tell you two things about your destiny. Number one, it's beautiful and it's all yours. If it's a weedy mess, it's your fault. Just thinking about that for a minute. But it's beautiful. And if you grasp it and understand it, you can sit there and eat all the apples you want by the rivers in your garden and go, God's been good to me. Here's the second thing. It's a walled garden. It's limited. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me doesn't mean I can do anything I want. It means I can do what he's given me to do and I'll get through. And I'll get through in moments of abounding, in moments of abasing, in other words, doing well and doing poorly, dark times and light times and all that kind of thing. But it doesn't mean we can do anything. It means this, your destiny has a limit. It has a wall. Here's a thought. Don't obsess about the boundaries of your destiny. Enjoy the center of the garden he's put you in. Come on, somebody. In this hankering world of, of I, I want more. You know, Instagram is the worst, isn't it? Somebody somewhere, even if you've got a nice car, somebody's got the nicer car. Even if you've got a beautiful wife, somebody else has got two. God help them. Talk to Solomon. Do you know what I mean? No wonder he went a bit screwy in the end and wrote Ecclesiastes, a thousand wives and concubines. That's why he had to be rich. He spent his life paying for boots subscription and things like that. You've been given a delightful inheritance. It's beautiful, but it's limited. It has walls. It has boundaries. And so I want to talk about that for a minute. In your garden of destiny. And I want now. I literally journal this. I draw pictures to help me go. So what's my destiny? Where's my limits? Because you get miserable when you step outside your limits. Uh, the, the, if you if you read all of Genesis one to eleven, there's several things that are going to poison the garden of your destiny and turn it into a miserable inheritance. Right? It, with Eve, you'll find the Eve problem is this: uh, she lost her naive trusting in God, and kind of husband joined her in it. So let's call it the Adam and Eve problem. They lost their naive trusting in God and poisoned their destiny. The second one is Cain and Abel, envy. The envy problem is I'm looking over the boundary line of my destiny to yours and I go, that tree looks juicier. Give me your tree. And that will poison your destiny. Then you've got the story of Noah. These are all the early archetypal stories of how the world is put together for humanity. The story of Noah is just plain old evil, will destroy your destiny. I want God's garden, but I also want to sleep with my girlfriend. You are going to poison your destiny if you don't tend it in God's way. Then, of course, the last one is the Tower of Babel. Empire and ego. You can have a beautiful destiny, but we've got to be the biggest and the best. Ego. Empire, let's stretch out and make a name for ourselves, is going to ruin your destiny. But let's step away from the things that ruin it and get back to what we need to tend to. There are trees in your beautiful garden that you need to steward and care for. And all I'm simply going to ask you this morning, every single one of you, do you know the trees in your garden and are you caring for them? What are the things that God has given birth to you to do and he took the time, Mark, to plant a garden and put trees in that are just Mark's. They're not mine. They're Mark's trees. And if he cultivates them, he's going to eat fruit from the trees that God put in his life. And it's, don't just think, don't go all churchy on me. There's loads of different trees. Some of you have trees that I don't understand. Things like cooking. Cooking but something in you, you know, who's the the guy, Chariot Sapphire? when I run, I feel the pleasure of God or whatever it is. What's his name? Roger Bannister, right? No? No. Eric Little. Little. There are things, now we might go, you know, well, the trees in the garden have to be preaching and healing and prophecy and no, 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 you don't get it. God's into all of life. He doesn't separate that stuff. Some of you are just made to be kind. And let's be honest, the rest of us don't get you, but we love being with you. You know, there's just certain people that when I need cheering up, there's some of you I won't ring. (laughs) Sorry. And there's some of you I will ring. When I need prayer, some of you are just so anointed to pray. Isn't it true, everybody? And we sit there going, how on earth do they do that? While we're kind of scurrying along in our rubbish prayer life, wondering if God even hears us. But God has put trees in their garden of, I'm just going to make prayer your thing. I'm going to make preaching your thing. I'm going to make communication your thing. I'm going to make children your thing. Education, government, media, what is it? Hobbies can be trees in the garden. Don't just think, well, it's just my pastor. No, maybe it's more than that. Maybe those paintings will become something that blesses so many others. And we mustn't think that it's only valuable if it blesses thousands. You might do one thing, that blesses one person. Come on, what's the old story of the useless evangelist that only saw one person saved, but it happened to be Billy Graham? Just look after your tree. You might have a small Mediterranean courtyard, and you go, well, it isn't four acres. Yeah, but it's yours. And you can sit back in the sun, put a little jacuzzi in the corner, not too warm because it's Mediterranean, and just go, this is what God's given me. Surely my boundary line's Fallen in pleasant places. We need to get to enjoying what God's given us. Amen. So, what are your trees? Some of you are preachers, but you kind of maybe you've been sitting on it a few years. Some of you, you just got this thing inside you. Come on, do alpha. Come on, just reach those your little suburb, your village. Come on, that's your tree. Don't say the church needs to do it, it's your tree. Don't try and make an organizational project or a department out of everything when it's just your tree. It's, it's your tree to, to chat to the neighbors either side of you if that's what you're stirring in your heart. It's your tree to, you know, turn up to join the golf club because you think I need to make some new friends and maybe I just need to win one to Jesus. Do you know, sometimes we have these crazy goals, don't we? Like, yeah, I need to be Reinhardt and that's all that's valuable. You know, I need to see a million saved in a single service. Do you realize if every single one of us just one, three people to Christ in our lifetime, the whole planet would be saved. Three. Maybe he's saying, maybe if you just tend after the three, instead of thinking you need to be Reinhard, revival might happen. But we're deceived into, well, just three? Come on, we need to get real about destiny. What are the trees in your garden the other thing you you've got in your hands trees you can see there things you've done you've done them a bit you can see a measure of fruit something that you've said something that you've been involved in and you go oh I think God was in that you've found a tree to cultivate of course our own families we need to cultivate right there are relationships there are geographic spheres there's all kinds of things so they're the trees this week journal write down what are the trees in your garden Hint, it's not meant to be a forest, it's a garden. In other words, you don't need 63 of them. There might be four, or two, or six. Because too many, and you need a whole team, and it becomes, you know, horticulture instead of gardening. The other thing he puts in your hands is seeds. What are they? Well, they're, they're prophecies, and promises, and hopes, and hunches. But you've got nothing to prove it yet. And the seed is so small, you've got n- you haven't even got a little sprig coming out of the ground to process if that really is God. Come on, anybody in the room, you've got a prophecy, a promise, a hope, or a hunch. You got one? Come on, think of it. It's just sitting there. You've got nothing to show for it, but an inside whisper that goes. Mm. And when somebody mentions it in church, your pulse lifts a little bit. It's in you. What do you do with seeds? Well, here's what you do you cultivate the trees Uh, usually what happens and people don't grasp this about God's process but what you tend to do with a seed is you bury it and it dies but I've got a prophecy from God yes so to bring it to life we have to kill it John 12 unless a seed falls to the ground and dies it remains single but if it dies it will bring forth much fruit here's a thought and this nearly always happens. There are promises, prophecies, hopes and hunches that when you go for it the first time, it usually doesn't work. Anybody could come on a leader with experience of. God said, we tried, it failed nearly always that's what will happen why because the seed needs to die you need to be humbled you need to be positioned now so you know that well only god can bring it to life i might have had the seed of a word but actually growth and life and increase only comes from god i cannot make it happen through my skill through my ability leadership or otherwise or prophecy or cleverness something in you is dying in order to bring forth a tree Here's my thing, don't get discouraged at the dying. The dying is the process of life coming into being. Your seed is going to reach some dirt and some darkness. But in the dirt and the darkness where the seed is placed, there is something supernatural going on that's about to bring it to life. And so you went for it in the area of education the first time, but it failed. They misunderstood you. They didn't understand. But listen, this is what happens. God's clever. So then when you've just about given up, the whisper comes back and it comes back round again. So now, oh, but now I've given up. Hope deferred. I'm just tired, Lord. Yeah. So now you're perfectly positioned. You're tired. You're miserable. You've given up. You know you can't do it, but you're still in church. What does that mean? I've got nowhere else to go. Only you have the seeds of eternal life. Only you have the words of eternal life. If this thing succeeds or fails, I've got nowhere else to put my seed but in the soil of your goodness and then just wait, God. And if it comes to being well, everything I have is from you. And so listen, be encouraged. Every seed from heaven dies before it brings forth fruit. The first version of what you went for will almost certainly every time die in failure, just proving to you that it was never from you. It doesn't mean you were wrong. just means you were probably early. And there's the process. But here's the thing. So you let it die. And for quite a while in your life, anybody have this? There are promises, prophecies, hopes and hunches that just look like dirt. It's just stuck in the manure of life. It fit, I mean, it's church, so I can't use more graphic words, can I? Because I think you've all become too polite on me. It's in the manure. Life feels like manure. Manure happens. compost I feel like a load of compost (laughs) life's just a bit compost at the moment anybody else I can see the worried ones how far is he gonna go come on anybody go through that and so it's dead and all you see is compost thankfully hopefully there's usually a few other trees in your garden to keep you going but there is something precious about an unfulfilled word isn't there a hunch and you know Joseph was unwise to tell his brothers his hope and his hunch wasn't he or was he I don't know it kind of got him put him in the pit in in a little palace then the prison then the big palace so who it's just something you know everybody say it destiny's messy well welcome to the gunk you've got a bible to prove that this thing is not tidy we're gardeners not scientists this isn't a physics lesson, this is gardening. What does that mean? It means you're gonna have k- k- compost under your fingernails. And you're gonna walk in from the garden, our garden, you know, we're in a, we're in a we, well, we, we have a space that's called a garden, but right now it's just mud, right? It literally is mud, because they haven't laid any grass or anything like that. And so you look at it and, and uh, it's just a mess. And then. Because we live in the middle of a building site right now, and all the builders keep coming to apologize. We're so sorry. It's so messy. And we just said, look, we're just happy not to be homeless now. We're just happy to be in. Uh, and the builder came to me on Friday, they, uh, one of the site managers. And he said, look, we're going to pressure wash all this down. We're going to pressure wash your drive, There's just mud everywhere. Because they had to re-dig up part of our garden to relay some new pipes. And it's just mud I mean, thick, gorgeous. I mean, can you imagine when it was snowing the other week, what it looked like? Snow is nice for about seven minutes, then it's slush on a building site. And I just looked at him and, and I'm like, I don't care. We're in. I don't care whether you pressure wash it or not. We're on a building site. Mud comes with the job. Welcome to destiny. Compost comes with the job. That's our God. It's how he does it. And so you got trees and you got seeds. What are the seeds in your hand? What are the trees in your garden? Cultivate them. Look after them. Why? They're going to feed you. In about 1980, yes, I was 10 years old. I know you can't believe it, can you? thank you, thank you, at least this, this one that played along with the preacher's silly jokes. But in 1980, I had the seed of a promise that I would write songs. 20 years later, I've got a tree out of a hobby that, that now feeds me. But, but we don't know the end from the beginning, only he does. What you've got to do is go after the hunches and the seeds. And any good gardener will know, come on, you plant some seeds and they don't grow, right? here's a thought so because it's the word of God God's seed God's word will never fail anybody agree with that it's perfect because it's God now we can get interpretations wrong but God's word will not fail he is not beholden to to do the interpretation of your word he's going to do his word and if you're anything like me it's the interpretation we get wrong right But here's another thought. So seed. So let's just say for a minute, they don't fail because it's God's word and it's perfect. And so therefore, in God, it will come to pass. But here's what we can do wrong. If you put the seed in bad soil, parable of the sower, if you put your promises in a bad place, they will fail even though the seed was perfect. So if you try to plant your purpose in the wrong place, it's going to fail. Plant your purpose in the right place. Here's another thought. Um, If you plant your purpose in the wrong soil, it's going to fail. Here's a second one. I'm flying by the seat of my pants now. If you plant your seed, come on, gardeners, in the wrong season, it's going to fail. I don't know about you, I mean so <laughs> I have at times pretended to be a kind of semi gardener oh my mother in law is here Sue is the real gardener in our family and Vicky takes after her I'm I'm really not I I well I like the biblical parable of the sower it's kind of he scatters his seed that's that's like me you know something will happen I'm sure you know but have you ever gone to buy vegetable seeds thinking I'm going to do some veggies right and, you know, whatever the time of year, in, it's wrong. And, 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 and I turn it over and it says, let's say it's, oh, when do you plant vegetable seeds? Let's say May. Close enough, is it? For some? That'll do. Right. March. March to May. March to May over here. All right. So here's me. It's September. Yeah. And, oh, come on. I wanted to grow these. It's 2023. You should be able to plant seeds whenever you want. But there's a time to plant your purpose in order to see it. The, pur- pur- the pur- 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 purpose is good <laughs> but it's the wrong time. We've got to plant in the good soil and in the good season or your purpose won't come to pass. The parable of the sower talks about things like rocky areas and it talks about cares of this life. It talks about It never been able to take root. I suppose what I'm trying to convey is just because things don't happen, it doesn't mean it's not God's word. we have got to find the right soil, the right season. And here's the thing. You've then got to protect that seed with your prayer life, with your passion, with your love for God. And then the joy of the moment, come on. Those of you that have been waiting for something, the joy of the moment, when when you wake up that one morning. I mean, it's spring, so we're starting to get a little bit of this now, aren't we? Who spotted the first snowdrops coming through? Do you know what I mean? The daffodils now everywhere. I love it. Isn't life just amazing? Just the power that you plant a seed, and it dies. And then without you doing a thing, other than having the right soil and the right season and protecting that seed, somehow it comes to life. And it's something outside of you. Your only job was right soil, right season. Protect it. God brings the promises he's given you to life. You don't. Now, I find that encouraging, not discouraging. I mean, there's a bit of me in my modern that wants to go, I, you know, press the microwave, 30 seconds, it's ready, ping. I want to be in control. It makes me less stressed. But also, let's go biblical. You just find good soil. You sense, just by sniffing God's heart when the season is, you let it die and you recognize that death is the only way to life. And then there will come a day, come and say it, there will. Come on, on. there will. Say, I promise. God promises there will come a day when that dead seed, if it's planted in good soil, you're going to see a little flicker of green come through and you're going to go, oh, what? How did that happen? You doofus, it's God, not you. Life is coming forth, And don't you then like watching it? Because the thing is, when it was six inches down, you didn't know every millimetre by millimetre that it was heading for the surface. You just saw soil. The day before it popped through the soil, you didn't know. It's just under there. Just under there. Ready to come through. It's about to happen. I'm giving up on this soil. No, but there's the seed just under the surface. It's about to come through. And then... You see the seed of God's promise. Wow. Then the little, what's the word for it? Little shoot becomes a plant. The plant becomes, I don't know, like a bush. I'm not the gardener. Then it becomes like a tree. And then two generations down the road, Because gardens do get passed on, you know. It's all biblical. There's this oak tree. And your great grandchildren are sat under it going, I'm glad somebody somewhere waited for the right season, heard the seed from heaven, planted it and let it die. And then waited and waited. And waited so that what my parents 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 have given me is not a seed but a tree because it's easier to tend a tree than a seed they protected it they gave their life for it they did everything that the bible is about looking at impossible dirty dead situations and saying but it will happen it will happen because he said it would happen and if I just bide my time and find the season and find the soil and protect the word of God that he's given me, chase away the wild birds, chase away the accuser and the liar, what God said will come to pass. He is faithful. He's faithful. It'll happen. But like everyone in the Bible, boy, I mean, you know, the story of the Bible is the story of family. Rob, would you come and just strum just so it stop me crying? Just play something while we try and land. We're going to pray in a minute. I've not got to where I was meant to go, but I hope you got something. Um, uh, uh. Jesus. The whole story of this book is it's weak, feeble people. Anybody qualify? Who get it wrong? Anybody qualify? It's a perfect God and a good, good Father coming into a messy world and subduing it with kindness. And what's supposed to happen with every one of us is that we get a garden each that is essentially a piece of wilderness that ends up like a beautiful garden. It's called Bring the Kingdom of God to Where You Live and Your Spheres of Influence. That might be anything from your home and your kids. Ask Wesley's mum. All she had to do was bring up, well, it was a lot of children, not just the two we know about. The only way she could have a quiet time was to pull her apron over her head. It was busy. It was messy. But she found a way to guard the seed and meet her God. And create at least two boys that change the nation. So we have a messy world. And the way he's doing it is, is, is through family. And the amount of times all of our heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Zechariah, who had John the Baptist and Sarah, and then even, even Mary. Have you noticed that every single one of them were born from, let's say, dead wombs? In other words, everything I do, I'm going to make sure it's a miracle. This is all about sons and family, and every single important womb in the story was barren, except for the last one, Mary, where he took it even further. No sex allowed. Still going to have a baby. In other words, you need to understand you're not doing this. I'm doing this. This isn't your dream. Stop being silly. We're worms without his love. We don't don't know which way to turn without his love. This is his dream. It's not your dream. The things inside you for your family or your streets or your workplace or your sphere of influence, your hobby, the people you want to rub shoulders to and bring a bit of goodness into the world, that's not your dream. You've smelt a little bit of heaven. And now he's saying, so come on, let's partner together. It's not for you to toddle off and do like I've given you a job description. This is God's dream. And he's showing you how through seed time and harvest, he makes dreams come to pass. And your most beautiful act of worship is going to be in that moment when the seed dies and you have nothing but dirt and you stand there over your seed and you just worship knowing it will come to pass. Because I understand how my father works. That's your destiny and mine, everybody. Can we stand one more time this morning and worship over the dead seeds, worship over the pruned trees, worship over things lost, things forgotten, hopes dashed, disappointed, worship over areas of despair. Worship, worship, worship. What can we sing, Rob? You got something going on? Yeah, I exalt thee. stand on the dirt of your life and worship him.